I want to um, have you turn in your Bible to the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel 36. We're going to talk a little bit about the nation of Israel because, believe it or not, nations rise and fall based upon how they do with God, how they treat Israel. And so God has used many nations as rods in which to chasten his children. And uh, then God turns around and chases those who chastened his children. But we are living at some exciting days. But I want you to see some of the things that God has told us that are going to take place. And he told us before it ever took place. Now, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel for most of the message today. But Ezekiel, see, was in captivity. He was over there in Babylon. And so God used him to write some things. And um, he also wrote some things about why God did what he did. Why God is justified in doing what he did with the nation of Israel. Now, Jeremiah had already prophesied that Israel would be taken into captivity. And they would be there for 70 years. Daniel comes along and he's reading the book of Jeremiah and lo and behold, he saw where they were going to be there for 70 years. And so there's uh, the move to let the people of Israel go. And so you have about Ezra and Nehemiah and you read about Darius and Cyrus and uh, how that they came in after the Alexandrian Empire. So all these things were right on schedule. And God knows what's going to happen in the future. But um, now the Medes and the Persians, yes, they were before uh, the, the empire. But that is what we call Iran and Iraq today. And God tells us what's going to happen in the future. But now notice what he says here in Ezekiel in chapter 36. And let's just start there in verse 16. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, now, verse 17, very important. Son of man, when the house of Israel dwell in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doing. So when Israel was in the land, they defiled the land. They did not keep the land the way God told them to. And it was supposed to rest yearly, every seven years. They didn't do it. So they owed God 70 years, and God collects. God always collects. And you can't outgive God, but you can't run and do things against God without their consequences. The reason we read and study the Old Testament is because we learn how God moves, how God acts, how God thinks, what God requires, and that there's consequences to decisions. Then he makes this statement. In verse 18... Wherefore, I poured my fury upon them, for they, get this, blood that they have shed upon the land. You see, we are a nation also, and a nation I believe that God has raised up. And we have shed a lot of innocent blood throughout this country. A couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the abortion, Roe versus Wade. I did it two weeks in advance because I knew what was coming. You're hearing it on the news virtually every day. There has been women marching. Then they had the March for Life. 
And so they're talking about all these innocent children that have been slaughtered, slaughtered, offered as idols and sacrifices for somebody else's sins. I will not go softly around so that I don't hurt somebody's feelings. If I hurt your feelings, I really don't care. I think it's murder. I think it's wrong, and it's a wicked thing to do. And I can't make it sound pretty. And I can't call it love. I call it lust. But anyway, we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to move right along. Now verse 19. Look at verse 19. And I scattered them among the heathen. I mean, God's talking about his people. He scattered them among the heathen, the Gentile nations. And he makes this statement, and they were dispersed throughout the countries according to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. So God says, because of their rebellion, I did this. There's consequences. It's not like, well, they didn't see God. But God in heaven is not blind. God is watching everything that goes on with every individual, every family, every nation upon this earth. Nothing is hid. And God is in control. But God does pour out his wrath and his judgment. God is a good God, a merciful God, a compassionate God, and he gives time for people to correct the problem. But if they will not correct the problem, God will step in. I would like to believe that there was enough people in this country to decide we don't want to go the direction that we were going because it was the wrong direction. It was more ungodliness, more wickedness. And you hear some people say, well, we have progressed to this point, and we don't want to go back. Wait a minute. You left the path. You left the right way. You left truth. You left God, and it's better to get back to the truth than to go on into oblivion and get the total judgment of God. So America, yes, needed to wake up, and maybe there has been a uh, leniency that God will give to us. As he told Nebuchadnezzar in the book of uh, Daniel, that it may be a, uh, a lengthening of tranquility. We could have a little peace a little longer. Now look what else he says here. You notice down in verse 22. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my own holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen wherever you went. So when the Jews were scattered and they went to all the various nations, they did not live up to that they were a people of God, they despised God, want nothing to do with God. Many have become atheists and don't even believe the Bible. They're not Orthodox Jews. They don't believe it at all. And you find out, God says, you have profaned my name. And yet the will of the Lord was that the Jews were supposed to be the light of the world. That wherever they went, God wanted to use them, not only to bring the Messiah into the world, not only to bring the Word of God into the world, but they were to be a light to the Gentile nations of what a nation would be like if they would obey their God. And there's only one true and living God, and that's the God of Israel. There is no other God. There is no God named Allah. 
I could get sidetracked here, but I'm going to do my dead level best to stay on course this morning. Now, I want you to notice when he says in verse 23, and I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. Now, there's a day coming down the road. Now, we know that God gave the law to Israel. He miraculously brought them out of Egypt and so forth. Jesus Christ came, and he was uh, rejected. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He was rejected and crucified. So Jesus Christ, yes, he died on that cross and paid for the sins of the whole world so that anyone, all they had to do is believe that what he did, he did it for them, and he puts that payment to their account. The reason that I'm going to heaven is because he paid for my sins. How many of my sins did he pay for? All of them. That means from the time that I'm born to the time that I die, 2,000 years ago, he's already paid for my sins. And the reason that I can't go to hell today or tomorrow because I don't have any sins to pay for. Christ paid for my sins. Why? So I don't have to pay for my sins. You can't know you're going to heaven until you know you cannot go to hell. See, I can't go to hell today, and I can't go to hell in the future. Don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of mine, but he did it for everybody. But the payment is only put to your account if you believe he did it for you. So when you trust him as your Savior, he puts that payment to your account. You have a payment for all of your sins. That's the only way you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven because of how good you live or your sincerity or because you will it, you desire it. But if you don't trust Christ as Savior, you don't go. And so this is what God's talking about. He says, now there's a time coming. You see, he came the first time and he was rejected. He's coming back. And he told the children of Israel, when he comes back, he's coming back the next time in power and great glory. Christ in glory. This is his revelation. When he is revealed and the whole world will see him. They'll see him coming from outer space. This is what blows your mind. They shall see him coming in power and great glory. And the light will shine from the east to the west. And everybody will be able to see the Lord when he comes back. When he comes back to the nation of Israel. Because at the nation of Israel, if the Lord doesn't come back, the nation of Israel will be annihilated. The nations of the world are going to gather themselves against the nation of Israel. This is in the book of uh, Zechariah, chapter 12, chapter 14. All the nations will gather themselves together to try to destroy Israel. You think right now, look at the United Nations. Almost every nation has turned against Israel. And then the last president we just had, Obama allowed wickedness to take place because of the nation of Israel and not wanting to recognize Israel has a right to that land because God gave it to them. And they have a right not to have their land parted. As he said in the book of Hosea, they parted my land. They wanted to divide it up, making a two-state. No, no, God gave them that land, and, and land belongs to Israel. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want you to look down there now in uh, verse 24. Notice when he keeps saying, I will, I will, I will. Because this is something God says, this is what I'm going to do. I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all countries. And he says, and will bring you into your own land. God 
says this is what he is going to do. Now, we're living 2,000 years since Christ. This was written over 500 years before Christ. So God had already said he's going to scatter the children of Israel unto all the nations of the world. Did it happen? And he says you're going to go back to your land one day. Have they done it? Name any other people that's done that. They haven't. There's no other group of people in the whole world that's ever done it. But God says this will happen to you. Now, you think it's just a coincidence? Or maybe the Bible is true. And if it's true about that, it's going to be true about other things. He said 700 years in advance in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 that when Jesus Christ comes, he says he will be rejected and despised. Well, when he did come, was he rejected and despised? And the Bible said he would be cut off, but not for himself. Was he cut off? Yes. Did he do anything wrong? No. Just like God promised. And he was born where he was told he was going to be born in Bethlehem, Africa. Just a coincidence? I don't think so. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We talked about that last week. Now, I want you to see this. He says in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clear water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Now, this is a tremendous promise. You see, the very next verse, the very next verse talks about how that I'm going to put within you a new heart. Look what he says in verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, God said, this is what I'm going to do. Now keep this in mind. Here we are living at this part of time right now. We're right before the rapture takes place. That's when Christ is going to come in the air, and those who have trusted the Lord are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, when we were lost, we were children of the flesh. The Bible says we had a stony heart, hard-headed, stiff-necked. So God had someone explain the gospel to us, the good news. We heard this good news of how we can't save ourselves. We can't deliver ourselves from this old sinful nature. Regardless of how hard you try, you can't stop sinning. You may want to stop sinning. You wish you didn't sin. But you still say and do things and think about things you know is ungodly. And every person in this room is guilty. And you know it, and I know it, and God knows it. You can't stop your sinful thoughts. Here it comes. There it goes. But it came. It's called the blackbirds. I preached a sermon one time called the blackbirds. Now, you can't help when those blackbirds fly over your head. But when you let them stop and build a nest in your hair and lay eggs, now, you've got to stop that. You may not be able to stop those thoughts when they come, but you can keep them going. But you have a problem. So what the Lord says is, I'm going to the cross for the purpose of making you clean. I am going to take away this old flesh nature that you have. What I'm going to do is I am going to give you a new birth. This new birth, this is what he's talking about, a new heart. You see, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he said that man has a wicked heart, sinful, desperately wicked. And who can know it? You can't understand yourself. You may want to love, and then it turns to lust. And you want to hate. 
and you don't like the way you are. You'd be surprised how many people are just in a turmoil all the time, so dissatisfied with what they are and the way they are, and wishing you could be maybe a, like Kellogg's cornflakes, just a little bit better. But we're all sinful. So Christ came into the world, and he says, Now, if you believe that I did this for you, I will give you a new birth. Fifty-seven years ago, little old Yankee trusted Christ as a Savior. God gave me a new birth. This new birth was born of God. My new birth was born without a sinful nature. I still got my old physical flesh birth. So my flesh birth, my first one that I got a few years back, has an old sinful nature. And that old sinful nature is always sinful, and I can't change it. So God gave me a new birth with a new nature. A new nature that's divine, just like God's. See, God is my father. That means he bore me. He's the one that birthed me. He's, he's my father. And he is holy and righteous and just. And he has no sinful nature. So when I was born of God, my new birth doesn't have a sinful nature. It's as perfect and as righteous as God himself. That's the new birth. God promised Israel this new birth as a nation. Now, individually, they can believe on the Lord. But God's talking about as a nation. So the Bible says when Jesus Christ comes back in power and great glory, that the children of Israel will see him and believe on him and be saved as in a day. The book of Romans in chapter 11. The nation of Israel are going to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They're going to believe because it says in Zechariah in chapter 13 that they saw the nail prints in his hands. And it says, where did you get those? I got those when I came the first time. And now he's come back. And they're going to recognize their Messiah. And they're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But they have just come through the worst seven-year tribulation upon the earth. This seven-year tribulation period is God's judgment upon the nation of Israel because they rejected their Messiah. And then he's going to judge the nations of the world because of how they treated Israel. So he's going to get them all. So where are we going to be during this period of time? Well, I got it made. I'm not going to be here. You see, when the rapture takes place, I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to have a ringside seat. I'm going to be watching over the banister of heaven. I won't be up there. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, to be absent from this body and this life, present with the Lord. See, when I die physically, that's my flesh birth with my old sinful nature. But I've been born twice. My new birth doesn't have a sinful nature. It can't die. If it cannot die, how long would I live? Forever and ever and ever. So this is what he's talking to them about. But he told them that in the Old Testament. So look what he says in verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. See, he hadn't done it yet, but he's going to. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person. They'd do a job, and then the Holy Spirit could leave. This is why David said, I pray that I take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because in those days, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell. He just came upon him to accomplish certain things. Samson was a great man of strength. That's because the Holy Spirit came upon him. When the Holy Spirit left, he didn't have any strength. And that woman thought she did it all. It was the Holy Spirit had withdrew from him. Now keep this in mind. Look what he says in verse 28. 
He promises them this. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit and so forth. This is what God said, I'm going to do this for you. Because you say, well, well, why is he going to do all this? Is it against their will? Does God override? No, there's a reason why he does this. There's a reason. Look at verse 37. Jumping a little bit ahead, but it's okay. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this, and you ought to underline these two little words, be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them because the people are going to want it. You see, they are not going to be won against their will. God said, this is what I'm going to do because you inquired. You want it. And so the reason I'm saved today, God so loved the whole world, but I'm saved because I desired it. If I had not accepted Christ as my Savior, I would not be saved. If you had not trusted Christ as your Savior, you would not be saved. See, God doesn't pick and choose who he wants to save. He'll save whosoever believeth. And if you want it, you can have it. God will not force anybody to believe anything he says. He will allow you to suffer the consequences of your decision. But he says, if you want to know whether or not, if it's true or not, look at the nation of Israel, look at the world. And see if what God said in his word isn't true. Is there a nation of Israel today? Did God say he's going to do this? Were they scattered upon the face of the earth? And this was written 2,500 years ago. It looks to me like somebody knew what they were talking about. Aren't you glad you're living the day when you see these things being fulfilled? Now notice this. He says there in uh, verse 35, And they shall say, they shall say, This land... That was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. This land will be like the Garden of Eden. The way he describes it in the book of Isaiah is that it, it will be like blossom as a rose. Blossom as a rose. The land of Israel. It will be everything God promised that it's going to be. There's people today that do not believe that the people who went to Israel are really Jews and they believe that America is now the new Jerusalem and all that stuff. That's not the truth. That's not the Bible. God says, I'm going to take them back to their land that I promised their fathers. And that is so important to remember. Look what he says in verse 37 again. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. This is what God is going to do. Now, look there in verse 11. In verse 11 of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, verse 11. God says, as he looks out upon the nations of the world, his people are like... Well, they're dead men's bones. They're dead. They're separated from God. Separated from their land. They have no life. So he says, this is what I'm going to do. In verse 11, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost and we're cut off from our parts. So God says, um, I'm going to work a miracle. And isn't it wonderful that you and I are privileged to see part of this miracle? And notice in verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, 
Behold, all my people, I will open your graves. That means from other nations. Cause you to come up out of your graves, out of those nations, and bring you into the land of what? America. No, it didn't say America. Israel. And then he says this. In verse 13, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. God says, I want you to know I'm God. And I want the nations of the world to know I am God. And that's why he keeps saying over and over again that the heathen may know. See there in verse 28, I'm jumping a little bit, but I want you to see the verse. In verse 28 says, and the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them for how long? Forevermore. So during the kingdom, when he comes into this world upon this earth, this thousand year reign, God says, I'm going to have my tabernacle in the Book of Acts, he talks about in chapter 13. He says, I am going to build the tabernacle of Israel. He says he's going to do it. The Lord's coming back. Now, they're going to have one at the beginning here, but it's going to be destroyed again. A lot of wicked things are going to happen during this period of time, the seven-year period upon the earth. It's the worst period of time mankind has ever known. The first part of it will be called peace and safety, and then sudden destruction. Because in the middle of it is when the head of this last world government will claim that he is God and go into the temple and claim to be God and deceive the whole world. Israel is going to make a peace treaty, but it'll be a false peace treaty. That's coming on down the road. How much time we have left, I don't know. I really don't care. It doesn't change one iota, one thing that I do. I'm still going to try to win as many people to Christ as I possibly can between now and the time that I'm checked out of here. I believe that's what God wants us to do. So he says, I'm going to take these two sticks, Israel and Judah, and I'm going to bring them together and I'm going to make one nation out of them. And this is what he's going to do. And so he says here in verse 19, Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sticks of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his uh, fellow, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah. So Israel, Judah, Make them one stick because they were divided because of the sins of Solomon and his sons. The kingdom was split and divided. Ten kingdoms to the, the tribes to the north. That was Israel, their capital in Samaria. And then you had Judah and Benjamin. That was the tribe of Judah. And their capital was in Jerusalem. Well, the Assyrians came and took the northern ten tribes. And then years later, here comes Nebuchadnezzar and took the nation of, of Judah and uh, Benjamin, and took them into captivity, into Babylon. So God says, in the end time, he said, I'm going to bring them back, and they're going to be one nation. So I look forward to this great time. I uh, want to see it from up, up here. But look at how many things are happening that take place. So can we know the Bible is true? If the Bible is true in all of this, do you think the Bible could be true on this thing about hell? Something we don't like to talk about, you know, that place called hell, the suffering and eternal punishment, torment forever and ever. This is why we want to keep winning people to Christ.